BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Governor Gavin Newsom is trying to figure out if he can keep California's last operating nuclear power plant, Diablo Canyon, open. It's scheduled to shut down in 2025, but things like rolling blackouts and the state's future energy needs with climate change appear to have Newsom reconsidering. We want to hear from you. What role do you think nuclear energy should play in California's future? Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Summer's around the corner, and it's getting hot in California, which means more strain on the state's power supply. And with climate change, California's only getting hotter and drier. So is now the time to shut down the state's biggest power source? That's the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant near San Luis Obispo. The plant's shutdown, set for 2025, is clearly on the mind of Governor Gavin Newsom, as some of his recent moves suggest. And joining me now to talk more about that is Sammy Roth, who covers energy issues in California for the Los Angeles Times. Welcome, Sammy. Hey, Mina. Happy to be here. Glad to have you on. So what did the governor do recently to make you think he wants to keep Diablo Canyon open past 2025? Well, there hadn't been much indication that that Governor Newsom or his administration were going to be considering this. But then uh, sort of out of nowhere, he was talking to the Los Angeles Times editorial board about a month ago. And he said he's he's looking out at the next few years and looking at how difficult it's going to be to keep the lights on when it gets real hot over the summer, like it did a few years ago when we had these rolling blackouts. And he said that, you know, looking at at that future, he's reconsidering Diablo Canyon and, and thinking about whether we should keep it online a few more years. And what's the letter that got sent to the U.S. Energy Department? Yeah, so the the energy department has this uh, this pot of money, six billion dollars, that it's making available to try to rescue nuclear power plants in in different parts of the country that are in in danger of closing. It's it's a climate initiative from the Biden administration that they 
C-nuclear power. It's the largest source of, of clean energy, energy that doesn't generate carbon dioxide in the United States. And so they're hoping to put these these funds out there to help plants stay open that otherwise would have closed. And the Newsom uh, administration sent a letter to Department of Energy and said we're potentially interested in applying for some of these funds to help Diablo Canyon. So how much power comes from the plant in the first place in terms of it being, as you've described in your reporting, California's largest power source? How much does it generate for the state? Typically about 6% of the state's electricity. Wow. And we do import some nuclear power too, right? That, that's right, uh, particularly from the uh, Palo Verde nuclear plant in, in Arizona. LADWP here in Los Angeles gets some, some electricity from there and other parts of Southern California as well. So then overall, what percentage of California's energy needs come from nuclear? O- overall, about 9%, so close to a tenth. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty significant chunk. And, and again, that's carbon-free electricity that's not contributing to climate change. Yeah, you're underscoring what the appeal is of nuclear energy, that it's clean, that it's carbon-free. Do you want to say any more about the appeal of nuclear? Well, sure. I mean, one of the the reasons that this is getting talked about so much right now is is so much of the the growth in clean energy and renewable energy has been solar and wind, which you know have have a lot of uh, great attributes. They're they're clean as well. They've gotten super super cheap. Um, the issue with solar and wind is that they they generate when the sun is shining and when the wind is blowing, but not at other times. There's solutions for that. There's batteries getting built to to store solar power for after dark, for instance, but. Right now, what we're seeing is that the really difficult time to keep the lights on in California and in other parts of the western United States is when it when it gets really hot all over the region and it stays hot into the evening after the sun goes down and people are still uh, you know running their air conditioners. And this is a problem that's getting worse with, with climate change, by the way, because we're having these worse heat waves that are affecting the entire region. It, it's getting hotter and hotter. Right. So we have this period after dark, especially in, in August and September when everything is hot, uh, where it's getting hard to keep the lights on. And solar is, is, you know, and part of that is just the solar going offline at that hour. So nuclear is a a potential way to help keep the lights on at that point. We're talking about nuclear energy and possible plans to delay the closure of Diablo Canyon nuclear plant with Sammy Roth, energy reporter for the LA Times. Sammy, why was Diablo Canyon nuclear plant slated for closure in the first place? Well, I think it's it's pretty well known that there's a, a real long history of public sentiment and, and concern about nuclear power. I mean, going back to, you know, incidents like Chernobyl, the meltdown there, and, and Three Mile Island, and, uh, you know, more recently what, what went on in, in Fukushima in Japan, uh, the Cold War, fear of nuclear weapons. I mean, there's there's a pretty long history of these, you know, nuclear accidents and, and near accidents and, and radiation issues. And I mean, Diablo Canyon in particular, it's near several seismic fault lines. So there's a, an earthquake risk there of what happens uh, in a big earthquake. PG&E, which, which operates the plant, says it says it would be safe, but there's there's a lot of concern about, you know, whether that is really the case. And so, you know, after, after decades of this sort of anti-nuclear activism, uh, about six years ago, PG&E reached a deal with environmental groups and they said, okay, we we sort of give up. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna shut down the plant uh, when when its operating license expires in 2025. We're not gonna try to renew that. The earthquake risk was part of that. Um, environmental regulations were part of it as well. That plant uses ocean water for cooling and is supposed to stop doing that. So PG&E would have had to spend billions of dollars upgrading that system to keep running it. And, and they decided they didn't want to do that. It wasn't worth the fight. So then, wait a second, if Diablo Canyon's closure is delayed, would it be dangerous to keep open because those upgrades haven't been made? 
Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think the environmental upgrades, um, you know, have to do with this this use of ocean water and and how the plant affects the marine environment. So, in in theory, that's something that the federal funds uh, could be used for. If if PG and E in California were to apply for these federal funds, they could, you know, they they could potentially change out those systems. You know, the the earthquake threat is another question. And for for critics of nuclear power, they would say, yeah, keeping this open longer, you know, every year that you keep it open increases the risk that there's a big quake and that you spread radiation. Okay. Well, surely the state has a plan to replace the power that comes from Diablo Canyon, right? Well, sort of. So this is something that the legislature passed a law on a couple of years ago, uh, five or six years ago. They said that, uh, you know, when, when Diablo closes, we want there to be a, a plan in place to, um, you know, substitute, you know, clean electricity from other sources, uh, carbon-free electricity for, for the generation that we get from Diablo. Uh, the Public Utilities Commission, which was in charge of that process, was was pretty slow, arguably, in, in getting that plan in place. And finally, last year, uh, you know, sort of late in the game, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to order utility companies and, and electricity providers across the state to bring online, you know, all of this solar and wind power and probably some other some other stuff, maybe some geothermal, some energy storage as well to replace Diablo. Whether that now, you know, comes on comes onto the grid on time uh, for Diablo's closure is, is a pretty big question, especially since we've seen, you know, all these supply chain issues that are delaying solar projects. There's an issue with a, a federal investigation on, on imported solar panels and tariffs that has slowed down that industry as well. There, there's all sorts of questions of whether this stuff is actually going to be there when Diablo closes. And if it's not, are we going to have to burn more fossil fuel as a result and see emissions go up, at least in the short term? Oh, so you're saying that um, because of this issue with renewables, we're going to lean on more polluting fossil fuels, most likely temporarily? That's that's the concern. I mean, in other parts of the country and here in in California, when the San Onofre nuclear plant in Southern California, for instance, shut down about 10 years ago, the the immediate result of that was that for the next couple of years, uh, gas plants were fired up more and and, burning more fossil fuel to replace some of that. You know, in, in theory, this this plan from the PUC that kind of came at a late hour is supposed to stop that from happening, but it's sort of a big open question whether it will succeed or not. Yeah, I imagine people who've been really concerned about polluting fossil fuels would have something to say about that, especially in communities that are disproportionately affected by it. For sure. And, and you know, nuclear continues to be really, really divisive in, in the environmental community and, and even among climate activists. You have you have folks who who look at plants like Diablo and say this is a no-brainer. This is carbon-free electricity. You know what are we doing, shutting these plants down? Uh, you know we we could build all of that renewable energy at the same time and and you know go even further to get rid of fossil fuels. You have folks who are you know super super concerned about nuclear and look at the history and the radiation issues and say if we want truly clean energy, uh, you know that that can't include nuclear. It continues to be very divisive. Well, we've got listeners weighing in, and you can do that, listeners, if you have some thoughts by posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum by emailing us forum at kqed.org or by giving us a call at 866-733-6786. This listener writes, I think they do not have any choice but to continue to use the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant as long as it's possible. Electricity demand is not going to decrease, and we do not have any feasible alternatives available yet. Without this power plant, 
there will be inevitable shortages and blackouts, especially if the drought continues and hydroelectric power is reduced. We've made a deal with the devil of nuclear power and have to accept the possible risks. We do not have a choice if we want our lights to continue to go on when we need them. Interesting, Sammy. I'm I'm curious if you have noticed a shift on people's views of nuclear. You were talking earlier about, you know, the fears of a meltdown and, and, you know, very much on the minds of people, things like Fukushima and Third Mile Island and Chernobyl. So have you seen a shift? Yeah, you know, it's a little hard to track this stuff, but one interesting data point is that the the LA Times, we conducted a poll of registered voters in Los Angeles a couple months ago, and we, we asked about nuclear power and we asked about Diablo Canyon specifically. And what the poll found was uh, 44% of voters said that they, they supported California building more nuclear reactors, and that was compared to 37% opposed. So you had, you know, a bunch of people who were undecided, but more people saying we should, you know, build more nuclear than than not. And same with Diablo Canyon. It showed 39% of, of voters in Los Angeles saying we ought to keep the thing open past 2025, as opposed to 33% who, who agreed with the idea to close it. So... You know, when you when you look at the history of sort of public sentiment against nuclear, I, I definitely don't think you would have seen numbers like that, you know, 15 or 20 years ago before climate and, and these sort of power shortage questions became such an issue. Yeah, it is pretty m- remarkable. And that's what you think is the main driver. Just, for example, people experiencing rolling blackouts again. And I think it was in 2020, the summer of 2020, and, and it becoming more visceral in terms of energy shortages here in the state. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. Um, you know, it, it was the first time in 20 years in California that there had been rolling blackouts going back to the energy crisis. Uh, you know, the, the ones we had in August 2020 weren't weren't nearly as bad as what happened in the early 2000s, but they were they were pretty startling and and there were several near misses after that. So I think that's raised the consciousness and you know, I, I, one thing about the the listener comment that you just read, I mean, they they mentioned hydropower and the shortage of hydropower. That's another really serious one right now as we're seeing drought getting worse and worse across California and the western United States. In addition to nuclear, historically the other really big source of, you know, clean carbon-free electricity generation has been these hydropower dams and they've had all sorts of other uh, damaging environmental consequences, but they they've sort of been the the backbone of um, you know, climate-friendly energy on the grid and, and drought is sapping. That's that's a big issue as well. We're talking with Sammy Roth, energy reporter for the LA Times. Sammy also writes the weekly LA Times energy newsletter, Boiling Point. We're talking about the future of Diablo Canyon nuclear plant, and we're hearing from you, our listeners, what you think uh, California should do with regard to generating nuclear power. Should it keep doing that? You've weighed in ahead of the show, and you are weighing in now. We'll get to your comments after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. We want to know how teachers are processing the events in Uvalde, how they're managing their fear and safety and talking with their students about it, how they feel about lockdown drills and other changes to the profession because of school shootings. Teachers, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to leave a voicemail ahead of the show at 415-553-3300 or to email us, forum at kqed.org. Today we're talking about nuclear energy and the slated closure of Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. And we're 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 open to hearing from you listeners in terms of your thoughts on whether or not you think California should keep generating nuclear energy and how you feel about Diablo Canyon closing in 2025. Also, are you worried about power shortages? Have you taken steps to prepare for blackouts? You can post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. We're talking to Sammy Roth, energy reporter for the LA Times. And joining me now is Ethan Elkind, a climate researcher and attorney who directs the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley Law School. Ethan, really glad to have you on. Yeah, thank you, Mina. Glad to be here. Also with us is Jessica Lovering, co-founder and executive director of the Good Energy Collective, a nuclear policy research organization. Jessica Lovering, glad to have you on as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ethan, let me start with you. Sammy touched on some of the fears and concerns that people have had about Diablo Canyon being, you know, near seismic uh, seismic fault lines and also uh, about a meltdown as a result of an earthquake driven issue. I'm curious if you could just go into a little more detail about some of the arguments that have been lodged against Diablo and against nuclear power in California traditionally, as you've heard them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the big concern is obviously the meltdown. And for anyone who lives near a nuclear power plant, even though the risks are pretty small, when when a cataclysmic event happens, it is catastrophic. And people are maybe overly weighing that uh, that downside risk, but it's hard to to live near one or you know even within a few hundred miles of one and, and be and be feel comfortable for many people, even though you know the reality is when you look at the science on this, the alternative of fossil fuel plants is actually much more harmful for people that air pollution that's generated from those fossil fuel plants is killing people just not in the same direct visible way that we might see during some of those nuclear meltdown events that have happened over the decades so that's really the the big argument against it, but then of course you've got the spent fuel rods, then there's mm-hmm. no safe place, no long-term safe place to store those spent fuel rods. Right now, they're mostly being stored on site at the nuclear facilities around the country. There was a plan to truck them or train them over to uh, to Nevada, to Yucca Mountain, and that got shot down by opposition from, uh, from Nevada residents. So that's another big argument uh, against it. And then I guess the final argument in terms of the climate change piece is that there are alternatives to nuclear power that are carbon-free not just the solar and wind uh, that uh, that Sammy was talking about, but if you can store that power through energy storage, uh, long-duration energy storage, not just batteries, but all sorts of new innovative technologies that are being developed, that you can have that replica of the baseload power that nuclear provides, but in a much less dangerous kind of way, in a way that 
involves technology that is proven. So, uh, so those are some of the, the big concerns, I think, around uh, around nuclear power and, and, and what underlies a lot of the opposition to it. Yeah, we have a listener echoing one of the points you made. The listener tweets, no nuclear, please. I'd rather go half renewable, half carbon. It might seem easy to have all that carbon-free energy now until future generations have to deal with the disposal containers not lasting for life of radioactive waste. Both fission and fusion create nuclear waste. The containers that nuclear waste is stored in don't even last half the life of the nuclear waste. Do we just hand that over to future generations to deal with so we can have the energy now? Doesn't seem fair. Is this listener right? Well, that's certainly a common sentiment. And I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a matter of weighing trade-offs here because you do have that long-term storage issue. But then you've got, like I say, the alternative of a fossil fuel infrastructure or maybe higher costs if you have to go with energy storage technology that maybe is less proven. I think one thing about Diablo Canyon is that once you do have these facilities built, it does make a lot of sense in the in the near term to keep them going because we are facing those shortages that Sammy was talking about in terms of electricity supplies. And if they're already built, we might as well continue to get some of that baseload carbon-free power out of them while we still can, especially if the alternative is not only blackouts, but relying more heavily on fossil fuel resources as we're waiting for renewables and energy storage to scale up. Because mm-hmm. one of the one of the challenges we have in California is that to meet our long-term goals here in the state, we have a goal of a completely carbon-free electricity grid by 2045. But to get there, we're going to need to triple our build rate of renewable energy of solar and wind. We're doing a good job. It's, it's coming along, but still, it's a tall order to triple that deployment, and it's facing a lot of headwinds. I mean, we're trying to get offshore wind uh, turbine turbines sited in California. And there's a lot of local opposition from the fishing industry and endangered species advocates that are worried about you know migratory uh, ocean mammals. And then you've got in the desert and the solar PV deployment that we're trying to get built in the Mojave Desert. Now there's a push to list the Joshua tree as a threatened species, and that could potentially hold up solar PV development. So it's going to be challenge, challenging to scale those up at the rate we need. So as long as we have carbon-free nuclear power, let's try to get as much out of it as we can. Well, let me go to caller Ron in Hamilton Field. Hi, Ron. Hi. I just uh, had a question that I put forward some time back about nuclear plants and uh, the waste product, the radioactive waste product being stored above ground. And now with the tensions and anxiety we have over terrorism and with uh, Putin putting out uh, a deployment for uh, nuclear uh, combat, though it's not done, what are we doing with radiation? Why are we even considering bringing uh, a danger to us where domestic terrorism could put a hole in the above-ground storage or mm-hmm. even an attack there? Isn't Ron, it time to think about something more advanced? Ron, thanks. Um, Ethan, your thoughts on what Ron is saying, too, about about terrorism and then the effect, the impact of something were to happen. Well, it's all it's any it's a concern with any nuclear technology. I mean, I think most of the concern from the national security community is more around the sort of noose, loose nuclear weapons more than the nuclear uh, facilities themselves. And I think you know they they do have a, a pretty safe way to store these spent fuel rods on site. Um, I suppose there's always a scenario where something could go wrong. So, you know, this is part of what underlies, I think, a lot of the concerns around nuclear power. But uh, but like I say, they've been able to manage pretty well just keeping those those fuel rods on site. Of course, you know, all it takes is one high-profile example, like a Fukushima, that kind of a meltdown uh, that really alarms people and I think helps people overvalue, like I say, to some extent, the the risks and not really thinking so much about those trade-offs. So what would the alternative be if we don't have this power? It's probably going to be a dirty fossil fuel power plant that's going to create a lot of more unseen damage to uh, to public health and lives. 
Well, let me bring Jessica Lovering into the conversation. Jessica, your organization, Good Energy Collective, is focused on building the progressive case for nuclear energy. I imagine you think Diablo Canyon should stay open. Yes. (laughs) Tell us why. Well, I think, you know, there's a separate question of whether we should be building new nuclear, which I do think we should be doing, but I think it's kind of a a win-win situation to keep Diablo Canyon open as as long as is reasonable, at least uh, in the near term, just because, you know, as as Ethan said, it's already built, it's already generating a ton of low carbon electricity. Um, And as Sammy mentioned, when we when we see nuclear power plants close recently in the US, emissions tend to go up. So it's all about weighing these trade-offs. I understand people's concerns about, you know, these really small risks of accident, of terrorism, but we're faced, you know, every day with the impacts of carbon emissions from fossil fuel burning. Uh, you know, I'm from California, we've got wildfires, we've got blackouts in the summer because we don't have enough capacity. So these immediate threats I think are at the forefront of people's minds, including Governor, uh, Governor <laughs> Gavin Newsom. And that's why he's reconsidering his position on Diablo Canyon. And you said that you'd like to see new nuclear. That sounds like a huge undertaking. What would that entail? Yeah, so there's a, a lot of happening right now on new nuclear and we use this broad term called advanced nuclear. So it's different designs, different companies. Um, looking at uh, new sites, there's um, a couple projects underway in the U.S. looking to build their first demonstrations, but um, it's a lot different than than the nuclear power plants we have running today. Um, they tend to rely on passive safety features, so pretty much no risk of the type of meltdown that we've seen at, at Fukushima or Three Mile Island. Um, they have a much um, can be much smaller, so um, better fit for different size communities, and also um, use different fuel cycles that are maybe more efficient, more amenable to fuel recycling. So you don't have as much um, spent fuel or, or nuclear waste sitting around at sites. Um, and also can be factory produced. So built more like a wind turbine or a natural gas turbine um, on, a, on a factory assembly line. So coming out cheaper and um, faster, which is what we need for this sort of deep decarbonization that the state of California is looking at. Um, and that we need, you know, globally <laughs> to meet this challenge of uh, stopping climate change. Sammy, how is has nuclear energy made? <laughs> uh, that's a that's a very good question, and I'm probably not the uh, the best expert for that. Uh, but it, I mean, but it has to do with the you know the decay of these radioactive elements and and using the uh, you know the electrons coming off of them, as as I understand it. But but probably a better question for Jessica. Well, uranium mining is part of it, right? And I saw that you were you were tweeting about that. Can you just talk about how it relies on uranium, right, Jessica? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean- um, so the the nuclear that we have today is mostly using um, in the U.S. It's entirely using uranium fuel, um, which is mined. The U.S. doesn't do much uranium mining anymore. We import most of our fuel. Um, It does have a a poor legacy in the US. A lot of the uranium mining was done on indigenous lands in the Four Corners region. Um, So that's an ongoing concern. But today, a lot of the uranium that the US gets, you know, comes from places like Australia, um, Canada have big uranium industries, but also Kazakhstan is one of the, the world's largest producers. So very different. But there's also 
a big opportunity to um, source the fuel without fresh mining. And that's from recycling the spent fuel that's at site. So um, other big countries like France and Japan, they recycle all of their fuel. Um, so they get a lot more, they get about twice as much energy out of it before they need to um, store it long-term. So I think that's something that's becoming more attractive as we're considering the environmental justice impacts of the fuel cycle, not just for nuclear, but for all clean energy sources. You know, there's a lot of mining concerns around things like lithium for electric vehicles, for batteries, um, nickel for batteries, and also a lot of these rare earth elements that go into wind and solar. They all have mining impacts. And I think we're trying to look more holistically at how to minimize those environmental impacts from this clean energy transition, whether it's nuclear or renewables or batteries. Well, Greg writes, when you ask, should we continue nuclear, it's too simple a question. There's new technologies that are far more inherently safe with lower waste production. Also, what about thorium reactors? Is what Greg's saying partly what you're also addressing, Jessica? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different technologies, and they're not, you know, they're not just on paper. They're not pie in the sky. They're actually um, getting a lot of um, help from the federal government right now for big demonst- commercial demonstrations are moving forward, and we'll sort of see these, um, you know, starting to generate electricity and kind of the ne- within this decade. So, you know, still lo- longer term. Um, but as California has this goal for 100% zero carbon electricity by 2045 and um, net zero emissions economy wide by 2045, I think we're going to need all the technologies we can get. We're going to need innovations uh, across the board and, and cost decline. So I'm excited by by these new technologies. And it it does. It's a lot more options and we'll see what works and they need to be tested and proven. But um, there's a lot happening in the space. Let me go to caller Mishwa in San Francisco. Hi, Mishwa. Good morning, and thank you for this program. I tuned in a little late, so I hope I'm not repeating myself. I'm opposed to continuing to operate the Diablo Canyon. I was there in 1980, uh, trying to stop the coming online of it. And um, I just remain very concerned, um, partly PG&E is operating it, and I'm concerned with their records in other ways. But we're not, I don't hear anybody really talking about how do we conserve more energy? How do we change our lifestyle so that we are not such consumers of um, electricity? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm concerned about the crypto coin um, you know, craze that is uh, apparently uses tons of electricity, tons of computers to make all those transactions happening. And um, when I was uh, flying over California back home um, from uh, Mexico, I noticed, like I've never noticed before, just bright, bright lights everywhere in California, especially in the South Bay. And so I'm wondering if that is all connected. So I'm I'm concerned about that. And of course, long-term storage, the Southwest is still a mess. The Diné Nation in uh, the Four Corners area was uh, devastated and is still feeling the effects of the uranium mining. And then recently I've been talking with uh, women from Eastern Europe that were in the area where the, um, you know, the big 
nuclear explosion happened. Well, well Mishwa, you've laid out a lot there. Let me just get a couple of comments, one from Ethan, about our energy appetite that Mishwa's mm-hmm. concerned about with regard to what we need to do to try to stop that. Yeah, it's a great point. And energy efficiency, which is how we describe it, is a, a big part of California's climate program. It has been since the 1970s, even before climate change was really on the radar in response to the OPEC oil embargo and, and fuel shortages. And California actually is very efficient compared to the rest of the United States. Our per capita energy usage has basically stayed flat since the 1970s because we have very aggressive appliance standards uh, and building code standards. So we've done a good job in lighting. I mean, huge success story with LED Uh, lighting, for example. But here's the problem. Our population is growing and we're trying to move more of what we used to rely on petroleum for over to electricity. We're trying to go to all electric transportation. We're trying to go to all electric buildings, getting rid of natural gas, uh, moving towards induction ranges and heat pumps to heat and air condition our our buildings. So even if we're much more efficient and we do have uh, aggressive goals to double uh, the efficiency of of our existing buildings by 2030 uh, under state law SB 350, Even if we do all that, we're still moving more of our uses over to electricity. Our electricity demand is only going to increase. And as Sammy mentioned, with these extreme heat events, where our demand for air conditioning is going to increase as really a life-saving kind of measure for many parts of the state that are going to be close to uninhabitable with some of these extreme heat events. So efficiency is only going to get us so far. We do need to meet electricity demand with new sources. And if it's not nuclear, then we really need to do as much as we can on renewables and energy storage as quickly as we can. The other thing, though, that Misha was bringing up, Jessica, is is sort of the legacy, right, of nuclear power in terms of still contaminated sites, um, pollution from decades of uranium mining. What does the Good Energy Collective have to say about that? Yeah, I think whether we have nuclear going forward or not, we still need to be working to accelerate remediation of these legacy sites. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. It's more about um, trying to get the federal government to put more resources into it um, to clean up these sites. Now, a a lot of the uranium mining, I don't want to dismiss or sort of um, um, put off the blame, but a lot of that uranium mining was for the nuclear weapons complex. So, you know, Department of Defense. Um, But there was also uranium mining there for nuclear energy, especially in the early days. So um, I think you know, as a separate issue, uh, we need more resources going to remediation. There's a lot of abandoned mines that we don't even know where they are, um, affecting the groundwater and the drinking water um, of the Diné community. So that's definitely something that needs to happen no matter what. We're talking with Jessica Lovering, co-founder and executive director of Good Energy Collective, which describes itself as a progressive nuclear policy research organization. Also, Ethan Elkind is with us, a climate researcher and attorney who directs the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, also host of the podcast Climate Break, and Sammy Roth, energy reporter for the LA Times. We'll have more about Diablo Canyon nuclear plant and California's nuclear energy future. After the break, stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's energy needs, the slated 2025 closure of the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant. And we're talking with Ethan Elkind, a climate researcher and attorney who directs the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy and the Environment at Berkeley School of Law. Sammy Roth is with us. His LA Times newsletter is Boiling Point. He covers energy for the LA Times. And Jessica Lovering is with us, co-founder and executive director of the Good Energy Collective. You, our listeners, are weighing in with your thoughts on whether we should keep Diablo Canyon open and nuclear energy should continue to play a role in California's meeting California's power needs or what questions or concerns you have about that. And Ellen writes, I live in zone one of the Diablo nuclear power plant. I'd be interested in learning whether or not any of those polled who support building more plants would support living in zone one. Zone one means that I live in the most dangerous area in the case of any sort of nuclear accident. We had drills with our children when they were young about what to do in the case of a nuclear accident. Our public schools also hold drills. This is on top of earthquake drills and active shooter drills for our school children. I'm simply curious about the feelings of those who support nuclear power and how comfortable they would be living, working, and raising children near a nuclear power plant. Semi Roth, let me ask you about that. Um, I know you had referenced earlier the Berkeley poll that showed support for it. Also just curious in your reporting if you've talked to people who live right by it. Yeah, no, I, I have, and, and that comment makes uh, makes perfect sense. I mean, the the folks we polled in Los Angeles, we we don't have any nuclear reactors here in Los Angeles, and there there aren't proposals to build any here. So there's there's definitely a huge difference between, you know, sitting somewhere in a in a big city and saying, yeah, you know, climate change is a threat to us. Therefore, I like the idea of building nuclear power versus having one of those in, in your backyard. I mean, in the 1980s, there was a, a nuclear power plant outside of Sacramento and voters in Sacramento went to the polls and, uh, you know, voted to shut that thing down by by popular demand. Well, you know, one other, one other example of this that I, I think is worth mentioning that hasn't come up, uh, talking before about you know, these these contaminated sites and the sort of legacy of contamination and pollution that hasn't been cleaned up. There, there is one right here uh, sort of outside Los Angeles in, in the Simi Hills uh, called the Santa Susana Test Site. This was this federal and, and NASA research uh, center where they did nuclear rocket testing and nuclear uh, nuclear reactor design and testing. And there was a partial meltdown there in 1959 that went sort of unknown to the public for, for decades and decades until it was uncovered by researchers. And this is a site that, you know, all of these these years later still hasn't been cleaned up. The, you know, full cleanup efforts still haven't even really gotten started. And you have people living in, in that community, you know, surrounding the Simi Hills who, who just so badly want to see this thing finally cleaned up so that they can have the peace of mind. There are 
is a group of mothers in this area whose whose children have been diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, I should say that it's really difficult to conclusively link cancer, you know, seeming cancer clusters or cases of cancer to nuclear contamination or other types of pollution like this one. So that's a little bit of an unknown. But you have people there who are really, really convinced that that cancers among children in this community are related to this site and they badly want to see it, you know, shut down and, and cleaned up. And it's hard to blame them for that. Well, our listeners are definitely um, expressing their views on this, and and they're quite different. Michael tweets, let us keep Diablo Canyon, provided we can do so safely. It does not put carbon into the air. It exists, and we don't have to use resources to replace it. And because the Texans did not want to buy it, it was the cheapest source of power during the rolling blackouts. Carlos writes, I prefer rolling blackouts over carbon or nuclear. Let me go to Felix in San Francisco. Hi, Felix. Hi. Um, so Hollywood, especially The Simpsons, has done a massive disservice against nuclear energy. Uh, hmm. I, people think of it as this glowing liquid, but it's the fuel is a solid material. When it's spent, it's embedded in concrete. The, the thing that really gets me upset is that the risk is incredibly low and theoretical, especially in well-managed states like California. And people don't take into account the impact that uh, fossil fuels have on our current lives, like chemical explosions in uh, the Chevron refinery uh, that happen every so often. And when you look at the numbers, coal has 24.6 deaths per terawatt hour of energy production. Oil is 18.4. Gas is 2.8. Nuclear is 0.07 deaths per terawatt hour. So, uh, you know, I, I think the prior generation who's largely who's calling in right now, uh, they had a very bad experience fearing the, the nuclear bomb. And, and I, I understand that. But right now, the thing that we're facing and future generations are facing is the, the, the actual and predicted end of the world because of climate change. We need to take that into account and keep the plant open and build more. Felix, thanks for the call. Jessica, you heard Felix there talking about the trade-offs, the immediate trade-offs that we're not taking into consideration, the safety of it, but also he's echoing something that I think you've said about nuclear having a marketing problem. He mentioned The Simpsons and the way that it contributed to people's understanding of what it is popularly, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think that's a uh a really important point, and I wanted to tie it back to the previous question about local support. So there was actually um, some recent polling of San Luis Obispo County residents um, done by Data for Progress, which is a progressive polling firm. And they found that 76% of Slow County residents supported keeping Diablo Canyon open. open. So I know this, this um, uh, caller questioner didn't like the plant running as a local resident, but there actually is really good support from the local community for keeping Diablo Canyon Oakland. And we actually see this nationally, that people who live closest to nuclear power plants are much more supportive of nuclear than the broader sort of public, which is the opposite of what we see with coal and natural gas. And that's because, you know, it doesn't produce this local air pollution that has a huge negative impact on public health. And it also provides a lot of um, high paying jobs, often union jobs. Um, and so the costs and benefits when when weighed by the local community tend to be, um, you know, increasing support. So that's something where, again, this this question of how is nuclear seen, you know, in popular culture, um, is very different than how it's how it's felt sort of locally on the ground from people who live near these plants. Um, they have a lot more, you know, just day to day experience with it, and they see it as, you know, a good neighbor. Um, 
you know, it funds their, their local school and their, you know, through um, local taxes. So they see it, you know, I'm not, you know, it sounds silly, but that's what matters to people, you know, electricity prices, um, funding for local schools, local jobs. Um, but they also are comfortable with the plant. They know, um, you know, what the safety procedures are and, and things like that. So well, what do you think of this comment from Stephen, who writes, I was a member of a committee of U.S. Geological Survey geologists and geophysicists who consulted for the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Agency during a safety review of Diablo Canyon in the 90s. It was clear to our committee that the seismic safety of Diablo Canyon is problematic and only becomes worse each passing day. It is not clear that Diablo Canyon can tolerate a magnitude 7 earthquake on the offshore Husky Fault Zone, if I'm saying that right, which is about one mile offshore of the power plant, allow the plant to be shut down in 2025. I think there's been more recent um, seismic studies since the 90s, particularly when Diablo Canyon was considering a relicensing more recently, um, post-2010. So I, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but it did seem like they studied it again, and Diablo Canyon has, um, you know, proposed some some seismic upgrades that they would do if they need to be relicensed. But it seems like that's something that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission would look into and do their due diligence on if they were considering a, a relicense for Diablo Canyon. So I think, you know, putting our, I, I don't want to say blind faith in the regulator, but um, the regulator in the U.S. is very independent. Um, they're uh, seen as the gold standard internationally in terms of safety. So uh, I think, you know, we want to have an open and transparent process in reviewing those seismic risks for a potential relicensing. Um, so they need to prove that it's safe, you know, pg and &E needs to prove that it can be operated safely in, in sort of a N plus one scenario of, of seismic risk. Um, but if they can prove that to the public, um, you know, I think the public will support it if it's an open and transparent process, which it should be. Well, Red writes, there's presently no greenhouse gas-free base power to replace Diablo. Even if lithium-ion batteries can scale up, they won't be cheap enough and capable enough to meet demand. And how much will all this storage cost? Ratepayers will be stuck with it. We might have to pay for all this, but no one is talking about costs for political reasons. We need honesty. This listener writes, you can't juggle the life cycle of a nuclear plant if it's time... If it is time to close, it is time to close. It has been operating on a going-to-close-soon maintenance mindset for years. Sammy Roth, let me ask you, what would it take uh, to keep it open if it's been on a going-to-close mindset for years? Yeah, so, I mean, PG&E, which owns and operates the plant, has has shown definitely a real uh, hesitancy, to say the least, about this. I mean, the Governor Newsom has... His comment on it was that in in his his conversations and his administration's conversations with PG and E about keeping it open, that it uh, he said it, it's not their happy place to be having that conversation. And hmm. so, I mean, a couple of things. It would require the the big one, I think, is it would require the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, as uh, Jessica was sort of alluding to, to um, renew their operating license to keep going past 2025. You know, under sort of normal procedure, if if PG and E was going to you know ask the commission to do that, they they probably should have done it a number of years ago. So that would be you know, a, a potentially very, uh, you know, uh, tough process and a lengthy process to, to get that started and to, you know, convince them to, to renew the license. So that would have to happen. And then there's this question, as I as I sort of referred to earlier in the show, about these environmental rules dealing with the use of ocean water for, for cooling purposes at the power plant. Uh, California has a regulation that actually says plants uh, like Diablo Canyon along the coast are supposed to stop using ocean water for cooling and they would need to spend billions of dollars on 
dry cooling systems to stop using ocean water, which can have these these negative impacts on marine life. In theory, the California could waive that regulation, but that would be its its own process and would probably be pretty hard fought as well. Hmm. So there are a lot of hurdles. Do you have any intel on what the federal government is thinking about California's application for funds to keep Diablo open potentially? Well, at the moment, there is no application for funds. So there oh, okay. was originally... It's more just that letter of interest or something. There, there's interest expressed. Originally, there was a deadline in uh, in May a couple of weeks ago, by, right. by which point you were supposed to you know express interest to, to Department of Energy if you're going to want some of these funds. Uh, seemingly because California is you know now having these discussions, they, they delayed that deadline for an application to July 5th. So I'm I'm sure that the Biden administration and the Newsom administration and PG&E and various other interest groups are uh, are back there right now hashing this out and figuring out what to do. Sammy Roth, energy reporter for the LA Times. Jessica Lovering, co-founder and executive director of the Good Energy Collective, a progressive nuclear policy research organization. Ethan Elkind is with us, climate researcher and director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley Law School. And you, our listeners, are with us. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Peter in San Anselmo. Hi, Peter. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me okay? I can. Go right ahead. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a very complicated issue, and there's emotion on all sides. I became a strong anti-nuclear activist the day after Three Mile Island, but now I'm a climate activist. And to me, it's insane to shut down operating nuclear plants. I was in Paris for the um, COP21 talks where I heard a panel of four of the world's top climate scientists practically begging to keep operating nuclear power plants alive because when they close, we turn to uh, fossil methane or coal for energy. And that is a disaster. When you compare the potential impacts of nuclear power, even with the accidents that we've had, Three Mile Island, Fukushima, I'm I'm not including Chernobyl, which was a completely different kind of disaster, when you compare that to the risk from global warming, which is actually has started a mass extinction event on the surface of the Earth, there's no comparison. Uh, we have to keep uh, these low-carbon energy sources available until until renewables have risen to the challenge to fill the gap. Hmm. Well, Peter, thanks for sharing that perspective. Ethan Alkine... Can you remind us what are the state and federal targets that we are trying to hit and and the likelihood of hitting them without the kind of nuclear uh, power generation that California currently provides? Well, on the federal level, we really don't have any targets. There's no comprehensive legislation uh, out of Congress in terms of where we need to go on our electricity grid. There's a regulatory process under the Obama administration, the Clean Power Plan. That's been on hold uh, at the Supreme Court level. Uh, So it's really about the state-based targets. And you have a number of states, including California, that have legislated that their electricity grids are going to be completely carbon-free. And our goal in California is not only carbon-free by 2045, but 60% renewables by 2030. And I think most observers and engineers, et cetera, think that we can basically get up to 85 90% on current technology, Uh, so solar and and wind and and using energy storage. It's that last increment of grid needs that's going to be potentially very expensive 
to get to. And so nuclear is not really, I mean, it's, it's a good baseload power, but I think Peter is correct that this is really just more of a stopgap until we figure out a long-term solution that gets us that last increment. But we, you know, we have a couple decades to figure this out, and there is a lot of innovation and research going on, particularly on the storage side. The other solutions involve being more flexible with our demand. So we can uh, have appliances that are smart and networked in and electric vehicles that are charging and then not charging at certain times when the grid is constrained. So we can be more flexible with our demand to match the supplies of renewables. We can also do a better job at accessing renewable energy from all across the western United States. Wyoming, for example, has uh, a, a lot of wind resources. And I know Sammy has been uh, uh, blogging about this, about the transmission lines coming to L.A. from, from the wind farm uh, in, uh, in Wyoming. Also solar in places like Arizona and Utah, etc. So we need to think more holistically. And nuclear is, I think, right, as Peter rightly said, just really a, a sort of a near-term need to continue while we have them. But the long term, I think, is going to be looking at a whole different suite of technologies. Yeah. Based on your reporting, Sammy, I'm so curious if you had to put a finger in the wind, what would you say in terms of whether or not Diablo Canyon stays open a little longer, even with the hurdles that you outlined? But just really curious where you think this is heading. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, as, as a reporter, I, I've learned that making predictions is, is not such a good idea. And until, you know, Governor Newsom came out with this a month ago, I, you know, I had written that it was highly unlikely that anything was going to change with Diablo Canyon. So now, now who knows? I, I think if you look across the country, um, you know, if, if we start to get, you know, really serious at a federal level about climate change and the Biden administration, and perhaps whoever comes after them is, is really able to implement, you know, aggressive climate policy, it's, it's pretty likely that most of the nuclear reactors we've got now end up staying online, at least for the foreseeable future, for climate reasons. Again, if if climate becomes a big priority, but but with Diablo, it's it's real hard to predict. It's late in the game. Yeah, I know you're not a politics reporter, but are you hearing anything with regard to lawmakers' attitudes or state policymakers' attitudes around it? Well, you know, like like I said earlier, it's it's just one of the it's one of the most divisive things, and that holds true in the in the legislature as well. You've got folks, including some folks who represent that area, who are very you know gung ho and and feel very strongly and righteously about it that this thing needs to stay open, and you have others who have you know sort of maintained the the strong anti nuclear position that they've held for for decades and decades, and uh, I I don't really see a, a lot of that division uh, breaking for most people. Yeah, I was struck by the earlier caller who brought up what he perceives as a generational divide around this, too. So interesting. Thank you for your reporting, Sammy. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Sammy Roth. His L.A. Times newsletter is Boiling Point. He's an energy reporter for the L.A. Times. Ethan Elkind, really appreciate having you on as well. Yeah, thank you, Mina. Glad to be with you. Ethan Elkind is the director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. He's also host of the podcast Climate Break. And Jessica Lovering, really glad to have you too. Yes, thanks for having me. Jessica Lovering, she is co-founder and executive director of Good Energy Collective, holds a PhD in engineering and public policy with a focus on nuclear policy, and the Good Energy Collective is a progressive nuclear policy research organization. As always, so grateful to our listeners for weighing in. We got so many calls and comments. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them, but really appreciate you weighing in ahead of the show as well as during the show. And of course, my thanks to Grace Wan and Susie Britton for producing today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. Thanks for listening. I'm Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.